go ahead and turn to First John. First John chapter two. We'll start reading again in verse eighteen just to get a running start. First John two eighteen. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are there many Antichrists. Hereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you, because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. We've covered all that last week verse 24 let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you ye also shall continue in the son and in the father let that therefore abide in you alright let that's a command. That implies there's something for you to do. All right? I say let somebody in the door. I expect you to jolly well go up, open the door, and let them in. All right? Or if it's someone you don't need to let in, don't let them in, right? But there's there's action on your part, letting. All right? So there's something for us to do. Let that, therefore, abide. Well, here's your question. What's that? Well, whatever that is, it's something that you've heard. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. So what is it that you need to remain with you that you've heard? Remember, our context here is antichrists, those who are trying to seduce you, trying to change the truth of the gospel into a lie, so what do you think you need to let abide in you? The truth of the gospel, right? Go up to verse 14. As he's writing to these various um, folks in this letter, you've got the fathers, you've got the young men, you've got the children. Verse 14, he says unto the young men, I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. So it was presently abiding. They knew the truth. That's why he's writing to them. But what do you have to do? Continue to abide in it. Alright? Let that abide in you. Okay? Let that therefore, verse 24, abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If... That which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Remain and abide. Same concept. Needs to stay. Right? So we got an if then, right? If you let it to remain, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Okay? You shall continue in the Son and the Father. These antichrists, those who are opponents of Christ, who are saying things along the lines of that Jesus is not the Christ. We should look for another. Or that Jesus Christ, well, he wasn't really a man. He didn't come in the flesh. Or whatever other corruption you have, they're leading you away from fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Right? So if you remain in the truth, you'll continue in the fellowship with the Son, and in the Father. And is that not one of the reasons John's writing this letter? 
Back in verse 3 of chapter 1, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us as believers of the true gospel. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus the anointed. Jesus the <coughs> Messiah. Right? To have the fellowship with the Son and with other believers and with the Father, it's all the same thing and that abides in the truth. And if you've got that, then your joy may be full, right? And in order to have that, can you walk in sin? No, right? It's walking in the light. As the Lord is in the light, as He is in truth, you're not abiding in the darkness and you're not abiding in lies. So He writes these things that you sin not. All right? Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. This is a call to stand fast. That happens a lot in the New Testament. Why do you think it happens so much? Because there's a lot of opportunities to not. Some in small steps, some in very large steps. But the charge for you and I is to stand fast, to remain in the truth, to be rooted and grounded in the truth, right? Y'all know any big oaks that get up and walk away? No. Storm may blow them over, but they tend to stay right there, right? Rooted and grounded. The truth doesn't change. Right? That's what makes it true. <laughs> the fiction that you hear around you um, can change day to day. Amen. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. Remain in the truth. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and the Father. All right? Verse 25. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. All right, so a question for you. Who's he? This is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. You look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, I would say... That the He is God the Father. We'll just read verse 1 just for the sake of not jumping in the middle of the sentence. Paul, a servant of God, Titus 1.1, 1, 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie promised before the world began. God promised it. Promised eternal life. Acknowledging of the truth which you have for godliness because of the truth, because of what God has promised. You know the truth. He promised that before the world began, but it wasn't plain wasn't clear to us. He revealed it. Verse 3, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Y'all know God does things and doesn't necessarily tell you about it? He doesn't answer to you. But sometimes, he chooses to reveal things. And over the course of several thousand years, he revealed something he'd promised before the let there be light was uttered. That he had chosen a people and given them to his son and though that they were vile, he still put his love upon them and he was going to give them eternal life. And as a God who's holy, and righteous and cannot change, he also cannot lie. And so when God makes a promise, it's just that. It's truly a promise, and it will come to pass. When you and I make promises, there's kind of some asterisks beside it. Whether we're able or whether we'll follow through are questions. Not so with God. It's just a matter of when. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So back in verse 25, this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal 
life. What is eternal life? You could have a kind of a worldly definition, or you could have a, I don't know what you want to do, common sense definition. Let's look at what Scripture says in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 context is that this is just before Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to have a night of prayer where he's pressed down and sweat's coming out like great drops of blood. He's going to be arrested, have a mock trial, and then he will be murdered by cruel and wicked hands the next day. So just some of the last things he says to his disciples before that. John 17, starting verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou, the Father, hast given him power over all flesh. Jesus has power over what? All flesh. Do you see any asterisks in there? Not a one. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to all those that would allow him, to all them that would permit him, to all those that... Y'all know I'm going with this. You've given him power over all flesh. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need any flesh's permission. That he should give eternal life to as many... As thou, the Father, hast given him. That given's already happened. That given was happening before creation. They've been given, and now Jesus is coming to collect and to give eternal life. You've given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So our question is, what is eternal life? What's the biblical definition? Verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now there's a lot of things that we think about when we think about heaven. And when the world or different versions try and sell you on heaven, there's often talk about streets of gold and mansions, and it's just like the greatest retirement community ever. <laughs> well, you see those billboards down there. <coughs> it's your choice. you got zombie land, and you got retirement land, 55 plus. It's going to be great. What is life eternal? That they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What's so great about life eternal? Is that you get to know God. We know him some here. But it's like a long distance communication, right? This is to know in his presence. I sang one of the songs there today and it talked about being satisfied. Y'all, we ain't never been satisfied for nothing in a day for our life. Right? We're eating the best chocolate cake in the world. We know in a minute it's going to be gone. Or if we eat that second bite, we're really not going to feel good, right? The satisfaction is not here. But when you're in the presence of the Lord, the only true and living God, you'll be satisfied. Perfectly. Period. Without end. That is life eternal. To know thee, the only true God. There are a lot of gods in this world Little g, not real, but things that are worshipped, there's a bunch. None of them are true. None of them are living. But to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Can you get to the Father without the Son? Not a chance. Right? There is no lesser status for Christ. He is not optional. He's not an alternative. He is the way. Who will have eternal life? All that the Son give. All that the Son gives it to, right? Same ones that the Father has given him. Okay? That is life eternal. 
All right, let's go back to John. Let that therefore abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. What's that? From the beginning? That, that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Son of God. That He is the way. That He is the truth. That He has accomplished what He came to do. The mission that His Father gave Him, He came and He performed it, and He will have His people. That is the truth. So abide in it. Don't allow it to be changed, to be diminished, to be refuted. Abide in it. And if you do, you'll continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even life eternal. That's a good promise. You consider who's promised it and the value of it. Whoa! It's a sure thing. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. There are those who will try to distort that and will hinder your walk with the Lord if you believe it. And if we remain as children in our understanding of God, we are liable to be blown about with winds of doctrine, the cunning craftiness of men who lie and wait to deceive. You know the world is smarter than we are? That's biblical. Sheep are not described as being the brightest animals. <laughs> right? There's a lot of cunning and craftiness out there. Right? The leader of all that is Satan himself. Right? You need to be on your guard. You need to be in his word. You need to be strapping on that armor of God and go read and see what that is so that you're prepared to stand fast. You don't have to conquer this world. That ain't your job. Christ already has. But you need to stand fast for the truth and abide in that. Okay? These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. There is a lot going on in verse 27. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. All right, what are we talking about? Go back to verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. Y'all ever heard anybody pray and use the word unction? You're like, what is that? I have. <laughs> Unction means an anointing. Something that's poured out. Okay? Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. The Holy One. Right? We're talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right? That which makes you born again is God sends His Holy Spirit into you. When you could not see or hear or understand any spiritual things, or the gospel just sounded like a bunch of garbage to you, suddenly it becomes very clear and understandable. And even if you can't articulate it, you know it to be true. Okay? That is an anointing, a pouring forth from the Holy One, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. That's the difference between one who is a born-again child of God and one who's just taken on the label of, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay? That's vital. Vital means life, right? To be alive, to be spiritually alive, you must have been born again. You must have the Holy Spirit. And so that's what differentiates you from the world and from what you were before. Before you were dead. You may have been walking and talking in a natural sense, but you were spiritually dead. You had no desire to please God. Nor could you. Your carnal mind was at enmity, hatred. You were an adversary to him. And without faith, which is a gift given by God when you're born again, you cannot please him. Not that you'd have any desire. And so the difference between a true believer in God and one who's just claiming it, lip service, is that presence of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
that anointing which ye have received of him. What's the source of that? Is that, is that you? Does the Holy Spirit move at your direction, at your command? Nope. Can you pray that somebody will be born again and it listens to you? You can pray and ask that the Lord would, but that's of his direction. It's not of us willing or running. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. We can see its effects, but we can't tell whether it comes from or where it goes. It's of him. It's from the Lord alone. The anointing which you have received of him, it abideth in you. Right? This is a different abiding. Don't get confused just because we're using the same word and we're talking about the same thing. Earlier, our abiding, we were telling you, let something abide. What was that? The truth of the gospel, right? Don't let the gospel change. Now, here it's telling you the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Does the Holy Spirit ever abandon you? No. And this is a, a, a teaching that folks get wrong. If you depend on Google for your answers, you'll get two different answers if you look this up. Does the Holy Spirit abandon you? Some folks will say yes. A lot of folks will try and say, a lot of folks will say no, but some folks will say yes. Right? The wrong answer in there is that it will abandon you. All right. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Says, he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who started that good work? He, God the Father, right? How long is he going to perform it? Till the day of Jesus Christ. That's shorthand for the Lord returning, right? That means for the remainder of time here while creation exists, he's going to continue to be with you. He which hath begun a good work in you, uh, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's a will, not a shall, but same, same emphasis. He began the work and he's going to sustain it. He's going to continue to be with you. He's promised never to leave you or forsake you. He means that. And that applies to that comforter. If you go to the second epistle of John, down in well, just verses 1 and 2. Second epistle of John, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. I don't think that's merely talking about the gospel there. This is the truth of the Lord. This is the truth revealed by the Holy Spirit. That truth that shall be with us forever. Got the abiding of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Back in verse 27. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Alright? Why is it telling us that you're being taught from the Holy Spirit in connection with those that are trying to seduce you? Because one common tactic is that a man will say, well, I have access to this secret knowledge. And if you want access to this secret knowledge, you have to listen to me. Right? You look historically at, at cults. This, this is a pattern of that they have an emphasis on a particular individual and on the knowledge that he has and that you can't have access to unless it is me. Alright? Do you need any man to teach you about Jesus Christ. To, to reveal some secret truth. I've got this answer to the scriptures. These prophecies. I've got an answer. And no one else can know it but me. Now the scripture itself says that you know, the prophecies are not of any private interpretation. So. What really teaches you? The Holy Spirit. In connection with his word. You don't need a man to reveal secret knowledge to you. Don't be, don't fall into that trap. Right? Why did Paul say the Bereans were more noble? 
Because they went back and checked out what he said against Scripture and said, is what he's saying actually so? He's saying the Christ has come, Jesus Christ. It said in the Old Testament, it would do this, 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 and this. And Jesus has fulfilled that. And they go back and say, well, let's go see if that's what it said, right? What is my job as a pastor? Part of it is to train you how to learn and go to Scripture and verify that you can be sound in the truth, that you be not deceived. And in none of this is it because Brother Jonathan said so. That has no weight. Unless it's Brother Jonathan says so because this person, this person, this person, this person, this person read all in context and they're not twisted and distorted. And you go do that fact checking, right? Because thus saith the word of God. It's what doesn't change. Right? The anointing, indwelling Holy Spirit, which ye have received of him, abideth in you, and will stay. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing, Holy Spirit, teacheth you of all things, and is truth. Holy Spirit is truth, and is no lie. Why is it truth? Because God is truth. And the Holy Spirit is God. It's not some lesser force. I didn't get into different derivations and errors. No, it is part of the Trinity. It is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Right? It is truth and is no lie. So the Holy Spirit won't teach you lies. Men will. Your heart will. But the Holy Spirit will not. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Alright, let's go back to John chapter 14 and see what Jesus would give some additional details on this comforter, on this Holy Spirit. This is um, very close to where we looked at in 17. Same evening after the Last Supper, after the washing of the disciples' feet. So starting, let's jump down in verse 15 of chapter 14. So John 14, verse 15. If you love me, Keep my commandments. You ever hear songs? I just love Jesus on the radio. But how does Jesus tell you to love him? By keeping his commandments. His commandments aren't grievous. They're not onerous. They're for your good. And it's your way of showing, I love Jesus. It's not the biggest bumper sticker you got, but it's how you live it out. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. While Jesus was there, he was a great comfort to these disciples. Right? How many times did he have to tell them, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Right. Fear not, little flock. I am with you. Right? He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Right? Duration. Even the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. Whom the world will not receive. Cannot receive. The world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Okay. They can't even perceive it. Cannot receive it. This is not something that the world at large will know or understand. Can't see it. Can't receive it. Can't know it. But you, ye, you and I and every other believer who has been born again, ye know him. How do you know him? For he dwells with you and shall be in you. That's pretty comforting. God the Father knew this people, gave them to his son. When he gave them, they were yet dead and vile and gross and gave them to his son anyway so he could pay for them and clean them up. Does it make sense to say that, well, I've done something so wrong in my life now, God is going to abandon me? Doesn't make sense at all. He knew about that. And he's paid for that. Do you continue to abide in that and do the wrong thing over and over and over again? No! That's walking in darkness. 
your fellowship with the Lord is going to be greatly hindered. Abide in the light and abide in the truth. But don't be deceived that God who's been planning this out from before creation is suddenly going to get fed up and say, well, I just can't put up with this anymore. This is eternal love. Unchanging, undying. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be with you. Can you know the Spirit of truth before he dwells with you? No. Right? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And yet a little while in the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Now, order of operations. Who did the first loving? Us or the Father? The Father, right? We love him because he first loved us. So if you've got someone who is keeping God's commandments, he hath them and he keeps them and he loves the Lord, guess what's already happened? The Father's already loved him, right? But you know what's true? That if he loves Jesus, the Father does love him. And will continue to love him. And the son loves him. And will continue to love him. It's not a cause for the love. But it's a manifestation that he is loved. And Jesus will manifest himself to him. Do you know that you can get to know the Lord better? What? Yeah. I write these things unto you. That you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowships with the father and the son. And that your joy may be full. More about Jesus would I know. More of his love, right? We want to know more about the Lord. We should. Do you know there's more available? As much as you know right now, that's great. Desire more. Right? Well, how does the Psalms describe the desire and the yearning for the Lord? Like a deer who's dying of dehydration. I am panting for water. That's what we should pant to want to know more about the Lord. To see Him more clearly. To have Him reveal Himself to... This is talking about a born-again child of God here in verse 21. He's got my commandments. He keeps them. He loves me and my Father and I love Him. And I will manifest myself to Him. Manifest. To reveal. Do you want to have a clear vision of your Lord today? Yeah! Yeah! That's a taste of life eternal, right? Because what's eternal life? Is to know Him perfectly and to see Him. Right now we see through a glass darkly, right? But one day that veil, in a sense, you know, that, that this life that we have that, that separates, it will be taken away. And you'll be in His presence unfiltered. Whoa. So desire Him more now. Now Judas, not Iscariot, says, uh, Lord, uh, how is it you're going to reveal yourself unto us but not under the world. That makes sense to him. There some folks who are going to see and have a revealing and others who are not. Jesus said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We'll abide with him. Right? That fellowship. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, unless you are confused, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. There is a lot of talk today about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And sometimes he's treated like a parlor trick or worse, like a drug that makes you crazy or loopy or convulse on the floor. 
There's nothing in Scripture that points to any of that. What does the Holy Ghost do? He's the comforter who comes to teach you the truth and brings to remembrance the things that Jesus has said. Where do you have the things that's recorded by what Jesus said? Right here. Let that word of God abide in you and dwell in your heart. Right? And guess who's going to bring to mind the things that you need to say at the right moments? The Holy Spirit. Right? He teaches you of Christ. Peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you have the Holy Spirit that's coming to teach you whatsoever things the Lord Jesus has said. <coughs> that's a pretty good promise. This is not a comfort that's given to the world at large. It's not one you can explain to the world. It's not one you can give to the world. And if the comfort of it is more about Jesus, the world doesn't want it. It's like heaven. Right? If you're talking about heaven in terms of streets of gold and a nice mansion and no taxes, okay. Sounds fine. Sound me up. But an eternal worship service of a guy who I don't even like, and the best part of it is knowing him, there's no draw for that. Your carnal, fleshly self says, no thanks. I skipped church here. I don't want to go up there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Bring to remembrance those things that Jesus has said. All right, let's go back to 1 John. Let me keep making progress. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. The Holy Spirit dwells with you and remains in you for forever and won't abandon you. You need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, right? And teaches you all things about Jesus. That's who he speaks of. And is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Abide in Jesus. And now, little children, abide in him. <clears throat> that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. All right, so, and now, little children, abide in him. Who's the him? Now, your next clause says that when he shall appear. Who's going to appear? Jesus Christ. He's going to come back. It's going to be visible. It ain't going to be secret. It's going to be, woo, from one end of the world to the other. Like you can see lightning to lightning going from one sky to another. Jesus will come back. He will be revealed. It's going to be great. Right. Abide in Him. Abide in the truth. Abide in Christ. That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So what's the difference in having confidence and having shame? Did you stand fast in the truth? If you didn't stand fast in the truth, does that mean you're not His child? No. It just means... You've got something to be ashamed of. <laughs> we want to be confident. We want to be bold. We want to be plain and outspoken that this is the truth and we are abiding in it. You need to be thoroughly persuaded of the things that we say and believe that they are true. How do you do that? You get in the Word and you own it. Not because some man told you so, but because these are the things that the Word of God says. And the Holy Spirit confirms it to you over and over and over and over again. Okay? Abide in Him. Verse 29. And if you know that He is righteous, who's the He? Christ. If you know that Christ is righteous, if that's something you know, if then... Then ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Okay. Is this abiding in the truth? Does it stop up here? 
No, right? This is a truth that is lived out. If you know Jesus Christ, if you know that He is the Christ, if you know that He is holy and you know that He is the Son of God, you know that He is without sin, and that everyone that is born of Him, born again by the Holy Spirit, that anointing that has come upon you, then righteousness is to be lived out. Okay? Now you could read that in the context of those that are seducing them. How do you know the false teachers and the false prophets? You'll know them by their works. They're not living out the righteousness. But it's also a challenge to you and I. Right? Just that we've written these things that you sin not. Here's a truth that those that are born of Him will do righteousness. We are creatures created unto good works. Right? You have a purpose. It's not to serve yourself. It's to serve your Father in a manner that pleases Him. And this defines what pleases Him. It's not your own perspective or opinion. So, here's the truth, is that if you know that Jesus is righteous, if you can know that, you also know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. That tells me that to be able to do righteousness, you have to be born again. There are things you could do that are that are civilly pleasing, that seem moral and appropriate or whatever. But this falls in that category of without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You cannot truly do anything righteous unless the Holy Spirit has born you again and has enabled you to do that. Right? Chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Let's just pause on that word, Behold. Look, I need to draw your attention to something. This is important. Behold! I mean, this is, he could have said, what manner of love the Father hath. Focus on this! What manner of, what kind of love is this? What kind of abundance and quality and preciousness of this love that he hath bestowed upon us? All right? To place upon us, to give us Freely, right? Behold what manner of love you earned. No. Hey, that's kind of nice. That's, a, that's like the $5 store trinket over here, right? Look at that. Y'all ever gone out you know, and seen a, a scene in nature that was just so beautiful, it just kind of struck you? Whoa. Right? I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I imagine seeing the Grand Canyon at sunrise or sunset would just be kind of like a whoa moment. Sometimes you're just looking at the beauty of creation so much, it just kind of almost brings you to tears. You're like, wow, Lord, look what you, you've done. Right? And the most beautiful scene you've ever seen in creation pales in comparison to this behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What? Me? I know me. Me ain't good. You ain't good either. <laughs> but yet the Father still bestowed this amazing... I mean, we're talking about volume of quails Wednesday night, right? This is way more than that. A huge volume that cannot be measured... And yet it's precious. Right? If you had you know, an abundance of gold, the value of gold would go down, right? Because it's no longer a precious metal. Right? Anybody can have it. But here you have the volume of love is immeasurable, and yet it's still infinitely precious because it had to be purchased. Right? There was a cost. And the Father putting His love upon you and cleaning you up to make you worthy to be adopted into His family, to be called the sons and daughters of God the very life of Jesus the Christ. Okay? What manner of love? I cannot, I don't have the words to express what he's done. For you to be called. And rightfully so. I can call you all manner of things and it doesn't mean it's true. But to be called the sons of God. And then he gives a reason. It says, therefore, the world knoweth us not. Knoweth us not. 
because it knew him not. Is there something different about you and about every other born-again child of God from the world? Yeah! You know that, that holy unction, the anointing from the Holy One, the thing that the world cannot receive, that cannot see or perceive him? Yeah. You're different. And you should be. The world did not receive your master. And he was way better than you. And they hated him. And they killed him. And they thought they won. And they didn't. So quit trying to have your feet in both camps. You don't belong in the world's camp. It's not your job to please the world. It's not your job to seek the approval of men. You stand before the Father, your Father, who loved you with an immeasurable love. Behold what manner of love. He is going to identify you as son, daughter. And that called the sons or gods is now. Presently. Sons of God. That's why the world doesn't know you. Doesn't understand you. Doesn't get you. It knew him not. But is this all there is? Okay, I'm, I'm called the son of God now. I don't really, you know, feel. Emotions are fickle. and I'm not saying to trust on those, but there are many days where I don't feel like the son of God. I think you understand what I mean when I say that. Because I'm still wrapped up in what? Sin! Flesh that's cursed by sin. Flesh that wears out. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Beloved. You know, that word... Y'all heard the word agape, God's wonderful grace and love, right? Beloved, it's you as dearly, wonderfully loved, right? Behold what manner of love. You, I'm talking to you as those objects of God's love. That's who I'm addressing. Beloved or beloved. That's just an English derivation. There's no difference in that word, but... Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Do you know how God the Father introduced and identified His Son at the baptism? This is my beloved Son. You know what He said on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved Son. Do you know what manner of love the Father has for you? The exact same love that He has for His beloved Son. The one who is good. The one who is worthy. That same level of love is how he loves you. Behold, what manner of love! If you haven't chewed on that recently, chew on it. It's more than you can get your teeth around, but just take a little bite and gnaw on it a while, because there's a lot there. When you get down in the mouth about things are not going well in this world, and I'm just now getting what I want, and I don't feel good, and whatever... Oh, what manner of love. That's a much bigger picture than whatever this itty-bitty problem that we're dealing with. And there may be a bunch of itty-bitty problems. But his love is bigger. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What's life eternal? To know the Father, the true and living God, and to know his Son. To see him as he is. We should be like him. There'll be a change. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll pick up. Verse 33, Paul has been uh, upbraiding the Corinthians for 
those who had been teaching among them that Christ wasn't really resurrected. And so he's, he's, he's addressing that in this earlier chapter. In verse 33, he starts off, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That evil communications means bad doctrine will affect how you live. Corrupt means to rot or shrivel. Your good manners means your usefulness. Your usefulness in the Lord's kingdom will be affected if you absorb and, and agree with rotten doctrine. Right? Awake to righteousness, good doctrine, and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Some have not the knowledge of God. Some of these leaders who are trying to teach them these false things, they didn't know God at all. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for I speak this to your shame. Same. Verse 35. Some men will say, again, these are saying there will be no bodily resurrection. Uh, some men will say, well, how are the dead raised up? And with what body shall they come? And with a, basically a verbal backhand, Paul says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, that it may chance of wheat or some other grain. Okay? The seeds that you plant when you go out and have your garden or your big peanut field or whatever, you are planting dead seeds. Right? When you harvest, do you go out there and gather up another handful of now dead seeds? There's something different. There's something living. The body of that seed does not determine what's going to shoot up out of that ground as a living thing. Right? But you don't plant a living seed. <laughs> That's the illustration here for us is the resurrection. Our bodies, our natural bodies, will die. And if no one's told you that yet, you're going to die. Right? And your body will go in the ground. But that's not where it will stay. It can go all the way back to dust. But it will be changed to something far, far, far better. Think about a peach pit. Have ever had peaches and you bite that pit and that thing just really hurts? You plant that dead seed in the ground, what comes up? Another peach pit? No. Eventually, you've got a whole tree that produces umpteen peaches, right? That's, that's radically different from that gnarly, wrinkled, ugly, painful thing, right? What's our life and body? That gnarly, wrinkled, ugly, painful thing. And yet at the resurrection, you will have something that is totally different, that is perfect, that is beautiful. Right? He says this is a natural illustration. You've already seen this happen in nature, and this is what will happen at the, at the resurrection. But God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him, to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh to beasts, another flesh, uh, one flesh to men, another to beasts, another to fishes, another to birds. Hey, evolution's not real. <laughs> he says, you can look at nature and see there are different types of flesh. You've got men, you've got birds, you've got beasts, you've got fish. Okay? He says there's also celestial bodies. You've got heavenly bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial, those that are in the heavens, are one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and the glory of the moon. Well, they're both up in the sky. Are they the same? No, they're, they're, they're different. Right? Another glory of the stars. They're also in the heavens, right? Are you looking at the difference between those bodies that are up in the heavens and those that are here on the earth? It says there's different glories. Okay? So also is the resurrection of the dead. Okay? He says, it's going to be different. Don't expect to just... Look just like this way. Okay? It is sown in corruption. Right? Corruption. Rot. Decaying. That's what goes into the ground. Right? Your mortal body. It's worn out. But what's raised? Incorruption. 
that which cannot rot, cannot decay, cannot wear out, does not need a back brace, right? Sown in corruption, raised in corruption. Sown in dishonor, right? These bodies are cursed. They are cursed by the sin, right? The new one will not have that. So rather than being uh, in dishonor, it's raised in glory. We'll see him as he is and we will be like him. Right? We won't become God, but we will be like him. It is sown in weakness. I'll feel weak. You should, otherwise it's an illusion. <laughs> right? We were talking about those 12 spies who went to spy out the land in Canaan. They said, we can't do it. Well, we looked at our military forces. We got 600,000 fighting men. They have got fortified defenses, and they're bigger than we are. I mean, we felt like grasshoppers in perspective. We can't do it. And in their own might, guess what? They couldn't. But who were they dependent upon? Themselves, right? That's a faulty assessment. Who brought them out of Egypt? God did, right? Did he ask any of them to raise a sword? Not a one. How many did they lose in the battle? Not a one. They were just passive spectators. It was watch, and you will see what my arm shall do. Right? The Lord doesn't need your might, right? And so, comparison to God, we are just weakness, right? But even though we are sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. You know, some folks talk about, well, when I die and I become an angel, y'all, you don't become an angel, okay? Angels are servants to the Lord. They are not sons. And though we as mortals are weaker than angels now, I do not believe that will be the case after the resurrection, okay? You do not become an angel, but you'll be like the angels in that you no longer marry and are given marriage, right? That's what that illustration comes from. Um, or people twist it. So even though you're sown in weakness, you'll be raised in, in power. Okay? It is sown a natural body. Is it raised a natural body? No. It's raised a spiritual body. It says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. It says just as there's different types of glories of the flesh of men and animals and different types of glories of the sun versus the moon and the stars, there is a natural body, this corrupt thing, and there's something that's different. He says, you really can't really imagine it. You ain't seen it yet. I'm saying that. You can't really imagine it, but it exists. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Right? Yeah, living. He was breathing. But the living, at last Adam, is a quickening. That's made alive. Right? It endures. It goes on. That soul has the element of being earthly and natural, whereas the spirit that goes on endures. Right? So this natural body will be changed into a spiritual body. Right? One that does not end. Howbeit that first, the, that not... Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. It says, order of operation. Which Adam came first? The natural Adam. And then Jesus, who is the spiritual Adam. So in our bodies, first you have the natural body, and then you will have the spiritual, the better one, right? You've got the prototype that doesn't work too well, and then you've got the completed one that's perfect. Okay? The first man is of the earth and earthy. The second man is of is the Lord... From heaven, as the as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and in and is the and as is the heavenly, such as they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. For this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God; neither doth corruption inherit. Incorruption. There is a place prepared for you, a kingdom, right? It has no corruption in it. It does not decay. And we cannot inherit it in this form. Okay? <clears throat> 51. Behold, I show, an, I show you a mystery. All right, this was something that had been secret, 
It's now being plainly revealed, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All right? We shall not all sleep. That sleep's talking about death, death of the body. That means there'll be at least one Christian still alive when the Lord comes back. And we see that from other verses as well. There'll be one who's still following him and born again and waiting for him and abiding in the truth. And though they're not dead yet, they're going to be changed too. Is this going to be a slow, over billions of year process? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you ever seen a kid get a really mischievous idea and you just kind of see that sparkle flash across their eyes? Didn't take real long, right? The twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trump. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds and whatever it is, it's going to be the last one. Saphony is the final. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Those that have already died at that point, their bodies will come out of the grave and they will be different, better, perfect, incorruptible. Sometimes I had the illustration in my head of like graves going up like geysers. I don't think so. Because Jesus' resurrected body, he could just pass through the walls. The dead shall be raised. And we shall be changed. Who's the we? Those that are alive at that point. That's going to be a great day. They will be changed. Suddenly. Perfectly. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This is prone to decay. Right? How many doctors do you think we've got appointments among us over the next year? <laughs> These things are prone to decay. And we're out. And the best thing we can do is kind of put band-aids on it and hope it'll limp along a little bit longer, right? The next is not so. This corruption must put on incorruption. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal, that which is it, is going to die, right? Mortals have an expiration date. You're going to die. But it must put on immortality. It's necessary. That which cannot die. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written. So there was a saying written a long time ago. And it hasn't been fulfilled yet. But at the bodily resurrection, after that last trump, when the Lord returns and the dead are raised up and everyone who's still living are changed, that's when this saying is brought to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's a strange saying. How do you drink down death? Well, it's like drinking a poison that can't hurt you anymore. As long as we're in this form, death hurts, right? Death is going to affect these bodies. But at that point, death has no power. Zero. O death, where is thy sting? Right? You know, like a bee sting or a prick or a goad. You know, something that pierces you. What happened to it? O grave, where is your victory? <coughs> well, the sting of death is sin. Will those bodies have any sin? No. And so death has nothing to claim. Right? The wages of sin is death. Right? While our debts have been paid... And we'll be put in a body that has no sin whatsoever. And so death has nothing on us. Christ's victory is going to be made plain and manifest. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have the victory. It's assured. This saying will be fully brought to pass when the Lord returns and there is a bodily resurrection. We are now the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but one day, when He appears, whether we're dead 
or whether we're still alive, we will all be changed and be like him and see him as he is because of him. You have the victory because of him through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because all that's true, how does this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about in 1 John, but there's a lot of similarities, how's it end? Therefore, my beloved brethren, you my dearly beloved, right? Those who, what manner of love has been bestowed upon you? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Every service you do for the Lord, it's not in vain. The victory is assured. Christ is coming back. He is going to gather us to his own. He's going to have an inheritance prepared for you, and he will make you worthy to receive it in bodily form, right? So be steadfast. You're dearly beloved. Don't abandon the truth. Don't be um, walking away. <laughs> but while you're here, continue to abound. Continue to produce, right? Continue to do the works of righteousness. If you know that he is righteous, and everyone that's born of him doeth righteousness. That there is a work to be done. That work does not earn you into heaven, but as a manifestation of that. That's where your destination is. Okay? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're serving one for whom your service is worthy. Now, we serve a lot of things that ain't worthy. Right? We chase a lot of distractions. Stand fast. Be unmovable in the truth. Regardless of what the world or people or folks trying to twist Scripture will say, this is your charge. You're very dearly loved by the God who's bigger than we can comprehend. Let us try to love Him as He's commanded us to. Thank you. Time and attention.